0: Hello, good people, and welcome to To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. This is a podcast where we look to offer an encouraging word to an often discouraged world. I am your co-host, Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, and we welcome you to this special bonus episode of To Be Encouraged. This is episode number 77, and what makes this special and a bit of a bonus is that recently Bishop Trimble and myself were able to be a part of the United Methodist Communications podcast a And what that is, is United Methodist Communications put the word out to various United Methodist-related podcasts to connect up for a three-day event, uh, so all day, every day for, for, for three days, a number of podcasts, over a dozen podcasts from around uh, the country, were a part of an ongoing podcast one podcast after another, and it was a fascinating experience to be a part of it, and uh, Bishop Trimble and I were privileged to be a part of this podcast. And what Bishop Trimble and I talked about is his uh, recent book called Ten Reasons I Am a Methodist, and so we were able to talk about that and make that a part of this experience that went out onto United Methodist uh, Communications uh, Facebook page, Facebook Live show. We will put connections to everything about this, the Facebook link and so on, in our show notes at tobeencouraged.com. But I want to uh, ask you just to enjoy this and uh, understand the power of podcasting, the power of uh, such mediums in order to get the word out, to be a part of your evangelistic tools that you are working out in your local church and in your ministry setting. Uh, Bishop uh, Trimble and I were, have been privileged, and this is a real bonus a real a- added feature to be able to be part of the United Methodist Communications Podcast Athon. So I invite you to listen uh, to this podcast and to check out the other podcasts, which were on the Podcast Athon as well. And we'll pick up the Podcast Athon as it was presented to the public through United Methodist Communications. Hello, good good people of United Methodist Communications, and we welcome you to this special edition of the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Trumbull. I am your co-host, Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. This is the podcast where we look to offer an encouraging word to an often discouraged world. You can find To Be, encourage, to be Encouraged at tobeencouraged.com. Mr. Tremble, good to be with you here in this special edition. Can you uh, say hello to our uh, live stream viewers on United Methodist Communications?
1: Hey, greetings to those who are uh, participating and uh, enjoying this live stream edition with United Methodist Communications. Uh, my mission is to encourage all people, With the love of jesus christ to rise to their highest potential and often just two words uh, to leave with folks and that is to be encouraged well just by way of introduction uh, bishop uh,
0: trimble bishop julius Tremble, is the bishop of the indiana area of the united methodist church and uh, my name is reverend dr brad miller and i'm a retired elder in the indiana conference united methodist church and bishop trimble and i got together a few years ago to do a podcasts together, Bishop. Would you share just for a second about uh, how it came to be that the two be encouraged podcast uh, became a part of of your mission, your ministry?
1: Well, one of my goals is to find all of the avenues to actually encourage lay persons, clergy persons, and people who are maybe not even uh, considering themselves to be people of faith uh, in, in a broader way. Uh, and so, we've had an opportunity to reach people not only. Uh, in Indiana, but across the U.S. and actually across the globe as people participate and be blessed by the To Be Encouraged podcast. My goal is 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 simply to encourage all people, as as many people as I can. It's, I think it's a Wesleyan mandate to do all the good we can and all the places we can and all the opportunities we can with all the people we can for as long as we can. So I really see this as kind of living out my calling to the to Jesus from Jesus Christ but also in in the Wesleyan heritage
0: hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. Actually, uh, Bishop Trimble and I go back to all the way to our seminary days, which is a long time ago, Bishop, right? It was, we graduated together in the early 80s. Yeah, back, back, back,
1: back with Abraham, Isaac, and Jake. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, back, uh, way back in, the, back in the day.
0: But we went to Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary together in, uh, in Evanston, Illinois, but we got back together when... Uh, when bishop uh, trumbull came to be the bishop of Indiana. and then a few years ago the pandemic hit and bishop you reached out to me about uh, this way of getting the word out to to the folks didn't you
1: yes you know remember there was a season when our churches were actually closed and my popularity dropped as well because you know <laughs> people 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 don't want to hear from the bishop closing the closing churches but uh, i often say if the pandemic couldn't stop the church with then nothing can stop the church. Uh uh and of course Jesus says if the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. So so uh we, we found a way to stay connected with people. There was a lot, a lot of talk, talk about social distancing, but what we did not want to have happen, Brad. If you remember we talked about this, we didn't want to yes. have social and spiritual isolation of the pandemic. And the podcast was one venue us to continue to stay connected with people and to give people an opportunity to hear from from, from me and others as we had a chance to interview people, primarily with the sole, sole purpose of encouraging them uh, with the love of Jesus Christ uh, t- to continue to, to live uh, healthy and hopeful lives as uh, as we all pursue pursue Beloved Community.
0: Mm. Well, that's great. Bishop Trimble was a guest on my prior podcast, the United Methodist People podcast, and and he uh, saw the opportunity we saw together to get together to do this podcast for Bishop Trimble to share his to-be-encouraged message. And so we got together on this podcast a few years ago, and we have been able to talk to people all around the world and church leaders and all kinds of great folks and have had a lot of inspiring inspirational messages that are always encouraging in one way or another.
1: Yeah, we've touched on all kinds of things, uh, whether relative to gun violence, uh, trauma, uh, informed care. Uh, we've talked about mental health, uh, African university. Uh, we, you know, we've talked with, with, uh, folks who, who are new to the ministry and, and just to hear their calling. And, and, uh, we've talked with, uh, presidents of United Methodist related colleges. So it's been, it's been a great, and then, uh, then people have had an opportunity to hear from me around any number of issues, uh, particularly most recently, uh, the book that I, the latest book I wrote, 10 Reasons I Am a Methodist. Well, we're going to get into that.
0: Just a reminder, if anybody wants to check out our back catalog of all these episodes that Bishop Trimble's talking about, you can go to encouraged. I mentioned about your book, and it came out not too long ago. And it is called 10 Reasons I Am a Methodist and uh, it's a pertinent book to our time. I believe I've read it and I know we've talked about it a few times. But tell me before we get into some of the detailed points of this book, why did you write this book in the first
1: place? Well, 10 Reasons I Am a Methodist is an easy read, 60 pages. I, I wrote this book. We were in a long season, if you recall of of covid the covid pandemic followed by the launching of the global methodist church and uh, and then a series of disaffiliation uh, annual conferences uh, and, and and what i call a lot of a lot of negativity uh, to the christian witness in general and the united methodist church my hope church your church in particular and i wanted to testify if you will give witness to both the historical and spiritual depth of my own journey as one who has found a home and a calling in the United Methodist Church. But I I titled the book 10 Reasons I'm a Methodist because my my roots really go to Methodism even before the United Methodist Church came into Mm. being. We're going
0: to get into some of that detail in just a minute. But just overall, it seems like you have tried to provide a positive and encouraging response to listening in a lot of angst, a lot of uh, uh, distrust and mistrust within the church in the last few years. And it seems like this is your response that there are some good things happening here and the con the connection uh, still is
1: vital. The churches of God and the United Methodist God's movement. So yeah, it's, it's easy to, I think it's pretty easy to tear, tear things down and to bring a bad word. But my calling is, uh, is to, is to be a proclaimer of the gospel, which literally. So, uh, you know, I I never expected the United Methodist Church to be perfect. Uh, and uh, we all are sinners uh, saved by grace. So I don't expect my church to be perfect, but I do expect our church to give witness to a pursuit of holiness. And also to be in the business of lifting people up not putting people down so people want to debate with me about about uh what's imperfect i say i really don't have much time for that uh people uh, sometimes I, there was a person who came with me and after they talked with me a while brad they said well I'm bishop i'm just trying to be i'm just playing the devil's advocate and you know yeah. what i said i said the devil doesn't need an advocate. I said, if you want to be an <laughs> yeah. if you want if you want to be an advocate, be a child advocate. It's advocate, for, so be so, an advocate know, for. Yeah, you yeah you can shut that down pretty quickly when people want to want to say. And uh, so I don't have time to ar- argue about what constitutes perfect orthodoxy. Uh, I'm I much rather give my time to what does it mean for us to feed the hungry, both physically,
0: and spiritually. Hmm. Well, one of the ways that you've done your part to feed the hungry spiritually and even physically, I know you're involved with many mission activities. We'll talk about some of those here in the course of our uh, the ten points we're going to be talking about here. But you wrote this book, "The Ten Reasons I Am I Am a Methodist," to give some sustenance to people to hang on to, it's particularly those people who you mentioned who do want to see the positive side, who do want to see what's right with the church. If it's okay with you, Bishop, why don't we just uh, use, let's go through your book here uh, today for our United Methodist uh, uh, Podcast-a-thon audience. And let's touch on the points and people want to check out your book on Amazon.com or some other place that they, they can do that. So let's just go through it. There's Bishop, what's the number one reason
1: you are a Methodist. <laughs> well, these these reasons are. I I, I said ten reasons because that's a catchy, easy way to for people to. Kick, I probably could have done a hundred reasons, but I maybe sure. never would have published a book. But uh-huh. but I, I prayer because my parents uh, really emphasized prayer in our family, uh, and prayer is is I say prayer is more than spiritual exercise, Brad frame, what I look at, if you look at it as a picture frame, uh, prayer is the picture frame uh, of our identity as Christians and as United Methodists. My parents taught us to pray and to pray on our knees before we went to bed and on Sunday morning. My church, my church has been a consistent community of prayer. So when we lost loved ones in our family uh, or, or when anyone in the congregation was in need. I'm thinking of all of the churches that I've been associated with, including the church that nurtured me as a child. Prayer was always at the center of the life of the church. So for me, and I am a United Methodist, I'm a Methodist, is because of prayer. People have prayed for me. And and I say this in the book later, Later, I think near the end of the book, no quarrel with other religions or denominations. This just happened to me, for me, the best of all Protestant possibilities, and my parents were Methodists, and uh, and I happened to grow up in the Methodist Church. And answer my number one reason I listed uh, is prayer, and I think a lot of people could probably you know think about that. This is a good exercise. My wife talks about this. Said everybody should write write their book, at least write write a write a, a paper a a belief paper that says what are the reasons that you are Christian what are the reasons that you are United Methodist or Baptist or whatever you might, whatever your, whatever your lane might be. So number one for me was prayer. Well, I know for,
0: for me, I just see uh, prayer as a form of breath in the sense of, you know, that's a part of who you are in my United Methodist. Uh, that power of that. And I appreciate you sharing that. I just think it's gotta be, for number one reason uh, for any of us to be a, a Methodist has to be prayer. You number two, say, Brad, I'm you sorry. know what I say, Brad? Go ahead. Brad,
1: please. I I'll, I'll often say the folks I hear me, folks from Iowa probably remember I served as a bishop in Iowa for eight years, and they they heard it every year. I, I say, little prayer, little power. No prayer, right. no power. And and prayer right. is not about is not about getting God to do do something for us. But it's really asking God to do something through us. And so uh I I people hear me again, they say, Well, we know what the bishop's gonna say. Little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power, much prayer, much power.
0: But it bears repeating. We don't we should never tire Well, uh, Bishop, what is the second reason to be that you are a Methodist?
1: Well, I say Alabama, my Alabama beginnings. My parents were Methodists in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, both my mother and father from Montgomery, Alabama. They were members of, before they were married, both the Trimbles and the Pryors, my mother's maiden name is Pryor, last name is Pryor, Uh, at at Old Ship AME Zion Church. So so that's the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. Uh, We don't have time on the podcast to do all the history of the AME Zion Church. Uh, I, I, I encourage people to look that up, but Really, the history of the AME Zion church that my parents belonged to was related to the first Methodist church, and it it traces its roots back to slavery. So the earliest members of the church my parents were a part of were slaves. In fact, um, the church traces its history to prior to the end of slavery, and the first pastors of the OSHIP AME Zion church were white clergy persons, even though all of the members were blacks slaves and freed, uh, freed slaves or free, free black citizens who lived in Alabama. It was later, uh, early on in its history that they received their first black pastor at the old ship, A M African Methodist Episcopal Zion church. When my parents moved to Chicago after they got married, they went to the closest Methodist church you could walk to. And I'm one of six children, especially when all of us were born. Uh, They wanted to go to one close to the close to the home we lived in, in Chicago. And it happened to be a Methodist Episcopal Church. This is prior to 1968 when we became United. So that's how I ended up becoming a United Methodist, because the church my parents went to was a Methodist Episcopal Church, which later merged with another congregation and became a United Methodist Church in Chicago. Everybody has a story of their beginnings. So so when people ask me where you're from I say that's a long story but I tell people I was born in Chicago but my parents were born from in that, in Alabama and I've lived in Iowa uh, Ohio and Indiana uh, so I mostly I mostly root for Big 10 teams but <laughs> uh, there you go
0: so uh well I appreciate you sharing about your heritage there bishop because we all have a spiritual heritage whether it be in church or not or whether we've been connected to the church a short time or a long time. In my case, I'm very thankful to one of the churches I grew up in. It's called Youngstown United Methodist Church, a little tiny church outside of Terre Haute, Indiana. And that small group of people, 60 or so people, nurtured me in my faith as a young child, as did my dad, my mom. And that's so important to my heritage. And I would invite people as they listen to uh, what we share here today to embrace their spiritual heritage.
1: And I recognize all people that are in the United Methodist Church didn't start that way. My my wife yeah. is an active United Methodist, but she was baptized a very an active Baptist, uh, and has now you know has become super engaged, particularly as she got exposed to the global missions and the worldwide impact that we have as United Methodists. So uh, we all have beginnings someplace, and uh, uh, so I, I I again like I say I. I've, I affirm and celebrate other people's journey. I just happened in this book to really to focus on my, my particular, my own journey. That's what we want to hear. And a part of that journey
0: is point number three, or your third reason that you are. A...
1: this it It's church camp. It's church camp. In fact, in recent weeks, uh, Brad, uh, uh, I, I have celebrated a hundred years of camping in the, camping ministry in Indiana in the Indiana United Methodist Conference uh, two of our camps uh, uh, Camp Rivervale and and Camp uh, Epworth Forest so so we are celebrating a hundred years of camping ministry I, I went to camp as a as a young child um, uh, in Illinois uh, and also as a high school student I went to Colorado camping uh, uh, with Young Life Ministry, so I was, I, I in some sense I feel like I probably had an early calling to ministry. I didn't answer that call at camp, but a real sense that Jesus, Jesus was more than just a, a, a story in the Bible, uh, but Jesus could be experienced in in in, uh, in nature, uh, and that Jesus really, really was could speak to you uh, in in community. Uh, where you were with a lot of other children or other young people, and so I remember because I grew up in the in this inner city of Chicago, and so going to camp to me was like a whole new world. Uh, and uh, I, to this day, am an unapologetic camping and camp scholarships for students because I had a chance to send when my one of my brothers and I went to camp together, uh, and it was after our father had passed away, so my mom who had six children, were it not for the men, the Methodist men and United Methodist women providing scholarships, uh, we probably wouldn't have both been able to go to camp uh, at the same time. So uh, I will forever be a, 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 a champion for church camps. And I think it's one of the strengths of of the United Methodist Church. Uh, and I know camping ministry is, you know, has changed quite a bit. There's so many options that families have with soccer camp and cheer camp and music camps and so forth. But we still have a I think a need for people to get away from wherever they wherever they might be living in communities uh and to experience. You know, our first time I rode a horse was at camp. Uh uh yeah, so so it for me it it is uh, it it's one of the primary reasons that I'm United Methodist.
0: Well for me also I would say uh, the church camp experience is pivotal for me and my own faith journey, Camp rivervale that you mentioned was a place where I accepted Christ, and I was on camping staff as a counselor and other ways. Directed camps have seen life change happen, probably more over at church camp than any, any other place, and I celebrate that with you as one of the reasons that I, I'm a United Methodist as well. But what's our uh, what's our next? Uh, or what's Our next reason.
1: So the fourth reason I list is lay speaker school. Some people wouldn't even know what that is. We now have lay servant academy, but uh, many uh, a number of years ago, I went to actually while a high school student to what was called lay speaker school, and it was what I when I look back on that I reflect I think it was one of my first experiences experiences of intentional discipleship training in the Methodist Church. Uh, So lay speaker school wasn't for people who wanted to be pastors, but it was primarily designated for laity, and I went the first year that they. That they really promoted it for high school students to to attend, and you you learned how to you know read scripture and understand a scripture better and to give a short sermon if you will if you were called upon and to be be more engaged laity uh, uh, where well, we like to call them say church volunteers but I call it really inti- intentional discipleship training so lay speaker school really was a pivotal experience for me in the United Methodist Church. And I had an opportunity actually to go the same time my mother attended as well. Uh, so she had already, I think, attended the initial class. I was going to a beginner's class and she was in the advanced class for lay speaker school. So I now we have lay servant academy. We also have certified lay ministers. So we still have a strong commitment in the United Methodist Church for laity to be engaged, informed, uh, laity, and not just recipients of, of of preaching and teaching, but full participants in, in both worship and discipleship making.
0: The church is vibrant because of its vibrant laity, and that's an incredible thing to have as a part of our United Methodist Church. Number, uh, the next one, number six, what's the sixth reason you're a
1: Methodist. I think it's number. I think it's number five, but we we don't have to focus. Oh, I'm on sorry, I'm sorry, number five, please. I stand <laughs> so corrected, five. my bishop. Yes, please. Five or six. You know, it, it's it's because of the lay people. Actually, it's called the people in the pews. Uh, but but I boy, I can go on for days about how many. You you think about it, and I, my pa- I remember my pastor preaching a sermon, and I've since used, done that sermon a similar sermon where I ask people to think about people who have impacted them during the course of their lives, lay people, not the not name pastors, and just to have them call those names out in a worship experience in a, while preaching. Uh, and it's amazing when you think about the people that have impacted your life. I know for me, uh, there, there are dozens of people, but there's a handful of people who really, who really shaped uh, and formed and stood by me. I think, for example, Mr. Ken Hawkins, who, who died several years ago, uh, was a chemist and he was responsible for getting me one of my first summer jobs when I went to college, uh, my first year in college. I came home and he was able to get me a good summer job, good paying summer job. And, uh, and he, he continued to encourage me even when I went off to seminary and became a bishop, Ms. Uh, Ken Hawker and Steele would call us. We lived in Iowa and call us just to check on and see how we are doing. And uh he was one of the youth counselors for our youth ministry in the church I grew up in Chicago. So think about that. I was from the time I was 14, uh remember 13, 14, through high school, all the way till till in my 50s, uh Ken Hawkins continued to be an encourager. And he remained a lay person. The church went through several, several iterations and merged. Some people left the church. Ken Hawkins and a, and a host of others always remain with the church, uh, and uh, and continue to encourage some of those same young people that had been part of the youth group, where he had he had uh, been one of the adult sponsors for the youth group. So that's one example. I think it's the laity in the pews uh, that that make a difference. In fact, most. And then you ask people why do they go to a church or stay at a church? It's not because of the dynamic, charismatic preaching, it's often because of some other person that invited them or helped create Christian community with them. So other lay people, uh, as, as one preacher used to say years ago, people draw people. And so I'm a United Methodist and continue to be encouraged as a United because of people in the pews, the lay
0: now- people. And I know for for me as a preacher's kid, I was always inspired by the other people in the church as well as my own uh, folks, but the people in the pews were really inspired me. Now let's get yeah. on to number six here, Bishop. I'll get my number straight here. What's the reason six?
1: <laughs> six. It's I entitled "Shooting Pool," uh, and I, but I but I but I did, I would say I was wasn't just shooting pool, but asking questions. So I grew up in a church where. Um, we had a uh, uh in the fellowship hall, which part of the fellowship hall all, also was used as a Sunday school classroom. There was a little dividing wall. Uh, but we had a pool table, so on Sunday mornings for sunday school there was a there was a tabletop over the pool table, so it was because it was used for one of the Sunday school classes but in in the afternoon or Saturdays or in the afternoon, when the youth group came to meet it was a pool table we also had ping pong table uh so i learned to you know shoot pool or billiards uh uh in and, and, and ch- at church and and also play ping pong uh at church uh, we didn't have a pool table at home and didn't have a ping pong table at home but we had one at church and my pastor who was who is my earliest mentor Dr. John Porter was a was an abbot Pool player. He had learned to shoot pool while he was in the army, and uh, was was you know con- considered a very an expert uh, pool pool player. It was also a congregation that uh, provided kind of a safe space for for a lot of the the, the gang members or, the, or or some of the kids in the neighborhood who didn't have uh, a supportive communities, and they weren't necessarily members of the church, but they would come to the Community activities that were held at the church, uh, the church where I grew up in was also used used by the community as well, and that pool table was kind of a place considered safe ground for even for for, for some of the some some of the tough ones tough in the neighborhood, and uh, I just remember that coming away from church thinking I said you know you could be a Christian and still have fun, and still find community, and, and still uh, ask questions uh we spend a lot of time with with uh youth and, and adults who who created space for questions and i think that's still a critical time thing today with all that we do on social media and on our, our smartphones we often don't have time really to experience community where you can ask honest questions i remember that and i really wish that and desire that for my granddaughter and for others who who will really be able to Place in the church where you can ask questions and, and express your express your doubts and fears and so forth. And I remember that uh, around the shooting a pool and playing games uh, in the after, Sunday afternoons at church.
0: I know for, for me, Bishop, I you know I I just became a killer. Yeah, I, I want to get in. Number seven is still in church and pick up games of basketball and the community. I remember one thing you said about this point one time is how Martin Luther King said, what are you doing for others? And among those things is how we can provide a space for people to be. But uh, uh, reason number seven, we're going to get into that. We're going to have a special guest on this uh, segment here. But uh, what's reason number seven you're a
1: Methodist? I'm going to say there, there are lots of reasons I'm a United Methodist. But even if if, it would, if this was the only reason I was United Methodist, it would be enough. And that's Africa University. My history with Africa University goes back to we had a classmate, uh, Brad, you and I at Garrett Seminary, who was from Zimbabwe, Elias yep. Namomambiro. and uh, I remember he visited my home church and invited me to visit visit him in Zimbabwe. It took me a long time before I ever was able to make that trip, but I remember going in 1991 to. Motari Zimbabwe, there was a big billboard sign that said, future side of Africa University. The very next year, 1992, uh, this, the school really opened and began to start uh, building buildings and accepting students. And now, as we speak today, there are over 11,000 graduates of Africa University, a pan-African university started by the United Methodist Church. United Methodist on the continent of Africa, United Methodists in the United States and Europe, and by action of the General Conference of, United Method- of the United Methodist Church and through support of United Methodists across the globe, this institution has now educated over 11,000 graduates, has a 96% graduation rate, and is still uh, providing access to education. We think it's such a, well, what's so big about that? But you think about the continent of Africa, with 1.4 billion people, billion with the B, um, and how many, and 40% of the population are young people. There are a lot of students who go to high school, uh, and may would be qualified to go to college, but have no, don't have access. There's just not enough uh, places for them to go, so they seek to go to school in Europe or the United States. But they also want to go to school. Uh, in on the continent of Africa, and African University is a tremendous university, uh, and and I'm I'm unapologetic about my support for African University, as particularly as a United Methodist.
0: Yes, well, and not too long ago, Bishop, you and I were privileged to be able to have a conversation on our podcast, the To Be Encouraged podcast, with uh, the president of Africa University, Vice Chancellor Peter Magetto. And uh, we had a delightful conversation, and I think we're going to be able to hear a little bit of that conversation uh, right now.
1: Bishop, you made reference to the 30th anniversary. It was a major celebration. And we celebrated that for 30 years, we laid the foundation. As I said during my inauguration, indeed, If the Lord Jesus Christ at 30-year age and his ministry was beginning then, then Africa University's mission has just started. And we are looking into the next uh, fourth uh, uh, fourth decade. And we feel like we are ready to launch on. And of course, with uh, the leadership of Bishop Trimble and uh, this kind of podcast, we are making it known to everyone just to be encouraged.
0: Well, Bishop, what, how, do you, how do you want to respond to that? How do you want to react to what we just heard from Vice Chancellor Peter Begetto? And what do you want our uh, listening audience to hear about his message to them?
1: Well, I think what, what, he said, what, what he says is that there's a lot of good news that we don't really spread uh, as we should. And uh, African University now is a maturing institution given 30 years of its, of its growth. Uh, it's now considered one of the top universities on the continent of Africa, and uh, that, I think that's that's phenomenal. Uh, he's the fifth vice chancellor to serve, and also a graduate, has graduate degrees from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. A Kenyan, Dr. Magetto, is a firm believer that the United Methodist Church connection to Africa University is one of the keys to its continuing success. And so I don't I don't know why people want to uh, uh, lament about anything that's not happening when we have such a great success story uh, in Africa University. Uh, and I, I just think his leadership is going to be pivotal in this, n- this next chapter of Africa University as we continue to make uh, greater opportunities for more students uh, to have an opportunity to attend Africa University. They pro- they're providing leadership in the area of agriculture. Uh, sciences, uh, innovation, uh, technology, uh, theology, uh, uh, and, uh, and academics. Many of the graduates of Africa University are now leading, uh, providing leadership at other academic institutions on the continent of Africa. Ninety percent of the graduates stay on the continent of Africa, and the other ten percent are blessing the rest of the world. In fact, we have two pastors in our conference. In the Indiana conference, who are graduates of Africa University, and and to hear their stories, uh, can, would can, could would would probably bring you to tears. When I hear about one Pastor Ezekiel, how he had nothing but a letter of acceptance, and had to catch a bus from uh, from Burundi uh, all the way to Zimbabwe, and it took him weeks to actually get to Africa University, and then more weeks until he waited until they attend and then finally graduate. Now he's pastoring a church in Indiana and and, mm. and, he's, and, and and when he sees me he says, Bishop, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done.
0: And what an incredible witness and today, with this, for you're actually going to Africa University very soon, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I'm going October thirteenth and spend a little spend the time there for a board meeting and also some, uh, some rest and refreshment time as well while I'm in Africa.
0: Well, that's a wonderful thing. And I uh, affirm what you're saying. One of my dreams, one of my visions is to get to Africa University sometime and see our old friend Elias Mumbero, who I went the college and seminary with, and we know he has his own as well. Well, let's go on,
1: Bishop, to the eighth uh, reason you're a Methodist. Well, the connection still works. Uh, I know it's not a sexy word, connectionalism, and it's, not, it's kind of one of those inside words, words for the church. Most people wouldn't know what you're talking about when you talk about the, what do you mean the Methodist connection? Well, I believe that the connection still works. You know, we're not, we're not a a series of independent franchises. We are one church in many, many places. We are connected. We're connected through our districts. We're connected through our annual conferences. We're connected through our ordination vows. We're connected as most importantly we're connected via our baptism and through our membership vows because as united methodists we make a pledge to, to basically that galatians 6 and 2 says to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ in our membership we say that we will support one another in good times and bad times and we will support the church with our prayers our presence our gifts our service and our witness and we can only do those things if we're willing to be connected. It's not some, just the example we just talked about in Africa University. Uh, one individual or one congregation could never have accomplished something like that. It was only accomplished through the connection. So I'm a firm believer that uh, we, we can accomplish far more uh, together than we can alone. Uh, there's an African proverb says that if you wanna walk fast, walk alone but if you want to walk far, walk together. And so the connection for me represents the thousands of United Methodist congregations and the millions of persons who who are United Methodists across the globe, uh, as we profess our love uh, for Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but also our commitment uh, to social justice, uh, to piety, uh, to ministries of mercy, uh, and ministries of holiness so the connection still works uh, and i i can tell you lots of stories about how i uh even even a few years ago when my daughter was having surgery uh in another community far from where we lived i called a bishop and uh, they had a chaplain uh at the hospital who went to visit her and a pastor who came a united methodist pastor who came and prayed for her uh, And and Expression of the connection, uh, so that we're never really truly uh, by ourselves or alone. Uh, the connection mm. is I love it. We don't have to apologize for mm-hmm.
0: I love it, and I, I believe the connection is still strong, and you can see it lived out in personal connections. So I'll just briefly say, here in our in and out of Indiana, a person can be born in Methodist Hospital and go to uh, Methodist churches and be educated at Methodist universities and go to a retirement facility like Otterbein uh, in Franklin, Indiana, where my mother happens to live and have that connection going on. And I know one of the things I'm thankful for is the support for my own family in that whole process as well.
1: The, the, the connection is strong, is it not, sir? It's absolutely. And I remember as a young pastor uh, at a time in which our family was in need, I called my district superintendent. Sandra Hoke, I never will forget. And she came, uh, and she actually came to our daughter when our daughter's birthday bar- birthday mm-hmm. celebration, I didn't expect her to come. We invited her, and she actually came. I said, you know what 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 kind of family faith family would Pastor, I felt like I had a pastor. Uh, and then then, as I became a bishop, later became a bishop, um my wife and I we always pray for all of our churches and pastors. In the community. So the connection, the connection really is lived out in lots of ways, including the ways in which we pray for one another, but the ways in which we are connected, both laity and clergy. Well, I
0: think this connection Tom, it leads us right into point number nine, the ninth reason you are a
1: Methodist. Evangelism without apology. Uh, you know, uh, there's a writer who says we have nothing to do but save souls, uh, and uh as I remember one of the uh, conference leaders when I was a bishop in Iowa, we were talking about what's so important about our, our faith walk with Jesus. And he said, well, life with Jesus is better than life without him. And we ought not be ashamed of that. The, Paul, Paul writes in Romans uh, 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So I think evangelism, sharing the gospel with others without apology is something we need not be ashamed of. Now, that doesn't mean we browbeat people uh, into submission or, or we try to take people and say, you ought to believe just as I believe. But we ought to share good news if we have good news. And I believe that at the core of our faith is good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So. I grew up in a, in a church where our pastor used to say, he said it's not just the Mormons or the Jehovah's witness that should be speaking to their neighbors. And so we had a neighborhood evangelism outreach. So we took like three blocks around the church where our church was and said, we have a responsibility to go and walk these areas and pray with people and share with them what's going on at the church. So, uh, our message was simply God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we, we, we shared that, hey, listen, if you don't have a church home, the United Methodist Church right up the street from you is a place where you will find a welcome. No matter who you are, no matter what you have, no matter what people say about you, no matter what your experience has been, you will find a welcome home. So I believe evangelism without apology is something we ought to really embrace again uh, and do it in new ways uh, using all of the platforms we have, like podcasts, all of the platforms Mm -hmm. we have to let people know that God loves them uh, and we also love them as well. I think it's uh, pretty Wesleyan too, isn't it Wesley who
0: said uh, catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to see you burned, we just have to have the enthusiasm for Jesus Christ. And that's awesome. And I think that it leads, it leads us, Bishop, on to this evangelism we're talking about is connecting people with Jesus, and Jesus was all about uh, justice. So let's talk about uh, the 10th reason you are a Methodist.
1: Well, the 10th reason I list is justice for all of humanity. And uh, one of the scripture verses we like to refer to is, is from the prophet Micah, the sixth chapter. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with God. And notice, notice that this text says not uh, admire justice, not observe justice, but to actually do justice. So I think we are supposed to be living witnesses that actually uh, often, say, often say that it's not our job just to keep people from going to hell. It's our job to reduce some of the hell that people experience here on earth. And I believe that is about, that is very much part of our Methodist history. Now, having said that, uh, Dr. Brad, you know, our history is not an untainted or unstained (laughs) history. We've not always been on the right side of history when it comes to justice for all humanity. If we think about forced migration of Native Americans, we think about the fact that Methodists were slaveholders. We think about people were willing to split the church over the right to own Africans. So we're, we're not a church without its blemishes, but I would say for the most part, we've also always been on the right side of history when it comes to uh, fighting for justice and equality and inclusion uh, uh, today. And, um, and so I, I believe that, that as the late uh, Congressman John Lewis said, if, we're gonna, if you're going to live your life, make sure you do something. It brings about more justice for humanity. And if you're gonna get in trouble, make sure it's good trouble. So Methodists have always been at the forefront of the fight for inclusion and justice. There've been no movements that I can think of toward freedom and inclusion and equality where Methodists and United Methodists have not been a part of. John Wesley was successful because of his social advocacy was always rooted in a love for the individual. So so he always he, he called for the rich uh to visit the poor and to become personally responsible for helping those who were poor uh so we cannot say that we're true Wesleyans and not also claim our heritage uh of justice for all of humanity hmm. well, thank you for sharing that about
0: uh I just reminded that uh justice is love in the public square. I've heard it said, I've heard you say that, I know, and we live that out. And one of the ways you, these 10 reasons are really tremendous, but I really love the way you wrap up your book by sharing a poem that you wrote that I think embodies a lot of things that we can be encouraged about. It's called Even Though. And Bishop, would you mind sharing uh, that poem as a way to uh, bring our time here on the United Methodist uh, communications podcast on to a close
1: absolutely uh before i share the poem i do want to just say a word about the, the last justice for humanity that right oh, in our yes. book of discipline in our book of discipline in the in our article 5 of the constitution we declare these things so when i tell our pastors i say listen you don't have to make something up and and have people charge you with being political you can just say listen i'm just it, I'm just rehearsing with you what the Bible says and what our declaration is in our own book of discipline. United Methodists shall confront, seek to eliminate racism where whether in organizations or individuals, in every facet of its life, society, and at large. United Methodist Church will work collaboratively with others to address concerns that threaten the cause of racial justice at all times and in all places. Not just racial justice, but justice. Whether it's environmental justice, whether it's uh, political justice, whether it's uh, personal uh, rights of persons to be included. We have always, we state that. And, and so if we're going to state that, we we are, we are very clear that we're concerned about the reduction of violence and the pursuit of beloved community so that everyone can find a welcome. This includes those persons who might be considered uh, alien ins or. Immigrants, when we when aliens reside with you in your land, you should not oppress them. The alien who resides with you will, shall be with you as a citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, from the Leviticus, the nineteenth chapter. And our general rule: bread is what. Do no harm. Do good, and stay in love, love with, with,
0: with, God. God, with God.
1: Well, Bishop, uh, can you conclude
0: our? Time together with uh, your reading, even though. Even though I am
1: a United Methodist, even though. Even though every day is not sunny. Even though I have heard some really lousy sermons and I was preaching. I am United Methodist, even though I have been accused of singing hymns too loud. Even though I think John Wesley was cool, but not nearly as important as Jesus even though little children often skip up to children's time and don't always follow the script. I'm United Methodist, even though some churches' greeters seem surprised when visitors don't arrive to church on time, even though some churches suggest it would be better if they didn't receive a female pastor. I'm United Methodist, even though when churches hesitate to accept diversity, we block our own blessings. Even though some prefer to quote the Bible in part, rather than read the Bible in full. Even though other churches have cool names like Full Gospel, World Center, Bible, Christian, and Community Church. Even though some of our churches fail to update their websites. I'm still a United Methodist. Even though our bishops wear purple shirts but don't have those colorful skull caps or miters. Even though our offering trays are not deep enough, and rarely do we dance when receiving the offer to us. I'm United Methodist, even though we think the gospel is not expanding and the church is not growing because our local church is struggling. Even though all churches fail to remember to celebrate the six United Methodist Sundays with a designated offering. I'm United Methodist, even though we are known for being methodical, but see a need to embrace new ideas like messy church. Even though we have a long, rich tradition, but we desire to embrace fresh expression. Even though we used to start one church every day, and now some some churches have no new professions of faith. Even though we are not perfect and currently characterizes a church at a crossroads over human sexuality, covenant and seeking a way forward. The truth is, even when cloudy, the sun is always shining somewhere on God's earth. The truth is, when children are skipping, God is smiling. The truth is the gospel is expanding. The Christian church is growing and God is still calling. I am United Methodist because I was baptized in this church, went to camp in this church. I'm United Methodist because I don't need to be great to experience grace. I am United Methodist because I don't need all people to agree on all things. I am United Methodist not because I have quarrels with other religions or churches, for me and millions of others, the United Methodist Church represents the best of all Protestant possibilities. I am United Methodist because I fell in love with Jesus as Lord and Savior and discovered myself in the United Methodist Church. Be encouraged, my friends. God loves you.
0: And to be is our podcast with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. I'm your co-host, Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. We thank the folks at United Methodist Communications for allowing us to be a part of the podcast-a-thon. And we leave you with the words of John Wesley to continue to do all the good that you can. So there you have it, the live stream presented by United Methodist Communications on their Facebook page, over the course of three days, what they called their uh, United Methodist Communications live stream podcast where they had a number of podcasts, over a dozen from around the country, who went back to back to back to present uh, their shows. Lots of fascinating shows. I hope that you'll check that out. And certainly, uh, Bishop Trimble and I thank the good folks at United Methodist Communications for helping us uh, to uh, have this opportunity to share Bishop Trimble's message about the 10 reasons that uh, he is a united methodist and we'll put links to the united methodist communications uh, facebook uh, links in our show notes at tobeencouraged.com this is episode 77 do want to give you just a to share with you that this podcast about the 10 reasons will be a precursor to the next several episodes when uh, Bishop Trimble and I decided to take each one of those 10 reasons and just to talk about that specifically as a part of individual podcast episodes. So you can look forward to that in upcoming episodes of the To Be Encouraged podcast. This is your place where Bishop Julius C. Trimble, the Bishop of the Indiana area, is able to share his thoughts and his insights into your life, into your world as a United Methodist uh, pastor or leader. We thank you, always thank you, for joining us. The purpose of the United Methodist podcast, as always, is to offer an encouraging word to an often discouraged world. So until next time, good people, this is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller speaking for Bishop Julius C. Trimble, encouraging you to always do all the good that you can.